Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And all of the all of the sounds, all of the mo- notifications, it's, hey, they, they, they got the notification. It went out. I don't know what to think about that. Note the date. I know, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you all here. We are broadcasting live to uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Odyssey. Uh, I see, Al- Alois? Is, is it Elo- Alois? And Dave are in the chat. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Dave, your package went out today. It's on the way. It should be there Wednesday. So good to have you all here. If you are with us live, the chat is active. And if you are not with us live, you can still leave a comment. And the email address, if you'd like to give us feedback that way, h2o at sci-fi-for-me.com. And we read every single one, even the spam. Well, I don't read the spam, but I at least open it up to confirm it's spam. <clears throat> but uh, we get a few. <laughs> and we're holding past 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. So I, I think we're I think we're over the hump because it's been it's been longer than four days and and uh, it's we've stayed we've stayed consistently over 2,000. So I think I think I think we can we can start thinking about the next the next goal, the next milestone maybe. Possibly. Oh my goodness. So last week on March 1st, the author Brandon Sanderson gave us a video on his channel. <clears throat> and in this video, he admitted to keeping a secret. And I'm not I'm not going to play the video here. You guys can watch it. We'll we'll link to it. But he basically sits there and says that in the time he would he figured out that he spent about 4 months out of the year traveling. And with the pandemic lockdown, he wasn't traveling, so that gave him 4 months to just kind of not really do a whole lot. And so he decided to write a story for his wife, a little private thing, just between the two of them. And she liked it and said, you really ought to put this out there in front of people. So he did. He's Well, he, he did on the first. He announced that one. And the other one, I mean, he's going through, he's going through the math, Tim. He's got pie charts. Mm-hmm. on all of his stuff and he's he's sitting there talking about how much time that he had and he enjoyed it so much he ended up writing more he's got four novels that he wrote without anyone but his wife knowing about it until they were done and then come to find out, as I'm as I'm watching this video where he's talking about all of this, it's not really four novels. <coughs> it's four novels 
and a graphic novel. So technically, he's written five stories in the last two years that nobody knew about. He said he came up to his he 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 took the manuscripts to his to his agent or his publisher. He wrote top secret on the top and just left them there. And they're like, "What is this?" <laughs> and on the day he releases this video, he launches a Kickstarter campaign where he basically talks about the same kind of thing and says, let's do this as a Kickstarter. These are not going to be traditionally published. His his usual publisher is Tor. And these secret projects are basically whatever it is he's done. Three of them are in the Cosmere universe. And then another one is something brand new. It's, some, it's, it's a more science fiction uni universe that, that he's not been in before, the setting. And we haven't even gone a week. And this thing is over $25 million on Kickstarter. And he's got 23 days to go. Now, if I'm doing my math right, he's averaging about $4 million per day ish 4 million and some change so by the time he gets to 30 days 31 days this could be well over 125 100 you know 120 125 million dollars on a kickstarter that's that's quite an achievement <laughs> Well, yes, and yes, and with a qualifier, yeah, with a qualifier. So the, the the qualifier is this: he writes very fast. He is it, it, it's part of it's part of the the reason he's built up the fan base that he's built up is that he puts out a lot of content, right? Like uh, forty novels in like what two decades. Something like that. I think I think less than that, actually. Um, he's very prolific and he's very detailed in his stories. He's built up a very, very strong fan base. And he is someone who came in. I mean, if you're not familiar with who this guy is, well, one of the things that he's responsible for is when after Robert Jordan passed away, he was the author who was picked to finish the Wheel of Time. Okay little bit of weight on the shoulders yeah he pulled it off you whether or not you you're you know pleased with with how it ended in his in his the detail work of, of his writing style that's he, to everyone's you know your taste and and however you feel about that but at the same time he is clearly not a slouch in the writing department <laughs> so he's built up this really solid fan base right and one of the things that we've seen um, over the years, especially in the last several, as, with, as Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all these things have become huge, is that if you have a large fan base and you offer them something that, you know, they want from you and you don't charge a lot of money, you consider how much he actually is charging, um, 
he's his pricing is really really reasonable for the various things that he's offering there yeah and he's also someone who regularly sells you know very very high numbers of copies of his book so he's got a really strong fan base i'm i'm impressed but i'm not actually surprised I'm, I'm definitely impressed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to do in that short period of time. Yeah. But he's got. I mean, it, he's got. He's built the fan base to do this sort of thing. Well, and the other part of that too is this is not his first time uh, no. using Kickstarter for a project, and it's you know he hasn't done he doesn't had done anything like this, but. Right. Um, He's used it before. I, I want to say that uh, he's done like two or three different projects. He, he's done, but you know, it's been it's been swag. I mean, here you go, Mistborn coins, Mistborn uh, an Alamancy dice, and, and some of these aren't even Sanderson's. They're just stuff that's related to his his universe right, and right. his stories. But I don't even really see. You've got you know one that's his you know dragon steel entertainment which is sanderson's thing he's he's got two others that they've done some kind of a thing this is this is the first well in 20 in 2020 he did a leather bound edition of one of his books and that was really his his intro to to the crowdfunding area and discovered there was an audience for that he also did something and we've talked about this last week he actually built a mini publishing house for his work. Yeah. So he's got 30 people that are part of this project behind the scenes. Because one of the things that happens with self-publishing is you don't have a lot of times you don't have the infrastructure that you get from publishing through a publishing house, like copy editors, editors, uh, the people to do the cover art, all these, all these things that you as the writer don't have to do. Right. And quite frankly, there's a lot of business side of things that, frankly, authors don't necessarily want to do. That's not what they got into this for. They want to tell a story. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to do the nuts and bolts of business. His background, I mean, he grew up with parents who were, that's what they did. <laughs> they were they were business people. And so he this, this is stuff that he's comfortable doing. But... Um, he's also, so, I mean, not only does he, we talked about this, this being really important, have the content in hand before you start trying to get people to give you money. Right. He wrote the books, but he's also got the infrastructure to actually put the books out. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that is maybe not lost in some of the discussion about what he's doing, but I think, I think you're right. I think some people don't quite understand just how much when he talks about his team in these videos, he actually does have a team. It's it's not like it's me and, and the dog and you know, the, the kid next door who comes to fold envelopes or something. It's, there's an actual group there. And if you think about it, there's also the, I mean, it's, it, there's no question that's a lot of money. There's yeah. no question. Um, but you're going to watch very quickly how much of that money is going to disappear yeah. into printing, shipping, and paying those 30 people. Yeah. Because if you're going to bring together a staff of 30 people, you got to pay them. Well, uh, and I, and think, I mean, I think some of that too, you know, 
the traditional publisher has all of those expenses in there and well they're also doing it in bulk so they've got yeah, them. they've got the arrangement bulk. with the with the printing the, they don't own their own printing press yeah they've got they arranged it with the printers and they're doing that in bulk so they're getting deals that he's not necessarily going to get but when the publisher Some of his does costs it, are going to be different. yeah but when the publisher does it now we've we've talked in the past uh, on a, a number of occasions because the expectation nowadays is that the author is responsible the author ends up being responsible for a good deal of the marketing aspects and the publicity stuff of the thing because the publishers don't do very much of that anymore you've got to hire your own pr people you know we get we get stuff from various different pr agencies acting on behalf of authors they're not coming right. through the publishers they're coming you know the authors have hired these people to do their own press and Sanderson's done some of that, but I think he probably also understands and and takes it the next step. Well, if I'm going to be if I have to do the marketing for these things, why don't I just go ahead and publish them myself and and I don't have to worry about dealing with all of this other rigmarole and the contracts and the, this and that and the editor telling well, me I got to change it and this and the, and the it, other. Except he's except he's actually not severing his relationship with the publishers. Right, he's he, not. He's but, continuing to do that. And and this but is this something particular that I think a lot of, set though, he's not going oh, sure. through tour. It's just, I mean, right. yeah, it's a one shot deal just for these these four well, editions. And, but and he said he said that this is something he he loves his publishers. He wants to keep doing stuff with his publishers. He yeah. has no intention of of changing his relationship with his publishers. This is just something he wants to try. And part of the reason he wants to try it is because he. I love that I he's just part, doing I, this on a lark. <laughs> you know? I, I, well, I think that he also he also uh, uh, he, the way he phrases, I think it was interesting. Um, he wants to poke Amazon a little bit mm -hmm. and not because he doesn't like Amazon. He goes out of his way to sit there and say he, he thinks Amazon does a great job. They, they're quite frankly for an author. They're a great avenue, but they're 80% of the market right now yeah. in terms of getting books into people's hands. And he feels that maybe that's probably something that means that they need more competition. And if he can be just a little bit of that, because competition can spur innovation. Yes. And that's, and, and so I think he's, I think he's pretty, he's pretty, uh, I think he phrased it pretty well. He's not, you know, he's like, uh, you know, look, Amazon's been good for me, but I think maybe they could be better. You know, well, so, and I say I say well. this is something he's doing on a lark. I think he's probably got a very definite, very specific, and very detailed plan for this. Oh, and yeah, I would okay. imagine because because with these first editions well, coming out, person company, you have to have a plan. Yeah, but I think he's probably already got a deal in place with Tor to 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 publish the next round of these yeah. the next editions and whatnot but it also does kind of poke at all of those people not just amazon but all of these people in traditional publishing who poo-poo this idea of 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 crowdfunding as a means of getting projects out and and yeah we've seen it a lot more in the comic side of things but in the traditional publishing side you don't see i mean established authors with publishing houses don't do this sort of thing and there's been well, a, there's been a little bit of shade thrown at sanderson because of this well so here's the thing i'm That's, not saying it doesn't happen ever 
No, no, and I know that. But but here's the thing about the shade being Thurden Anderson. It's also overlooking the fact that a lot of authors do hybrid publishing routes. Right, mm. they've got to deal with a publisher, right? But they also will self-publish. A lot of big name authors self-publish, folks. If you don't know that, some of them working under pseudonyms, but a lot of them do. Yeah. And here's here's the thing that that's and it's not because they're getting a crappy deal with the publisher, okay? But dirty little secret um, that's not a dirty little secret because it's a very well known secret. Um, publishing doesn't actually pay that well most of the time. Right. You have the big name folks. Okay. And that's one of the reasons why this is such big news is because you have an author making this much money and you hear occasionally will get the big, here's the big contract that just got signed by such and such an author for $4 million advance or whatever. Those are the rarities. Most authors don't see that kind of money. And even when you look at say authors like, you know, the big fantasy authors, uh, you know, look at, uh, you know, look at Robert Jordan, look at, um, oh, I don't know, some people who aren't ever going to finish the series they they set out to write, um, <laughs> you know, or, 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 you know, Neil Gaiman with a, with a, you know, a TV series, you know, un, happening in, and what, two TV series on the way. The thing is, is that a lot of these authors are really, really prolific and they put out a lot of work, which yeah. means their income is pretty steady and it goes up over time and et cetera, et cetera. So, but, but they're not getting huge amounts of money for each book. And if you've ever actually, you know, you, we've all seen this, I think is that you make more money and suddenly have more bills. So this is, you know, it's, it's sliding scale of, of income problems. So a lot of authors will self-publish and they'll, they'll go ahead and do stuff outside. Some of them are doing crowdfunding. It's just not a very public thing and if you don't, if they're doing it under a pseudonym, you don't know that's that, that big name author. You yeah. love the book from this this series, um, but I mean, there's there's a couple of authors actually that I get I regularly get their audiobooks, and they're self publishing. They're not you know you can you buy their stuff through something like Amazon, um, and or you get their audiobooks through Audible or whatever. Uh, but they're not they're not going through a regular publishing company because another not so dirty little secret is that it's really hard to get into a publishing house there's a lot of competition the the, the i think the remarkable thing here is that this is a guy who's actually he's in the door he's established an audience he like you said in four months he traveled 111 days one year yeah I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of that's a lot of work travel um but he's you know he's interacting with fans he's going to cons he's having a good time he's enjoying himself i mean it's it's but the i think the, there yes there are people who are upset about this but at the same time i mean i think uh, some of these are ranging from legitimate concerns all the way over to well, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> well, and I'm also I'm also seeing you know complaints about how how 10 percent of the money will go to the Mormon Church. I'm like, really? uh, I mean, okay, if if yeah. he gets paid for all of the books that he's published so far, do you think 10 percent of that going to the Mormon Church? What's changed? What's what's any well, and, different? You know, it's and I, I know. Well, but I think okay. So while we don't we don't try to get into religion very often here, 
uh, a lot of a lot of Christian churches do tithing at ten percent or things like that. Right. Um, and quite frankly, for however you feel about the Mormon Church, good or bad, there is a stigma that goes with, and the Mormon Church has been dealing with this for a long time. Every religion deals with something in some form or another. But people looking at them and going, "You're not the one true faith." Mormonism has had that problem for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm I, as much as I personally don't care for that because I don't. I am not religious. I have friends who are. I have family who are. I if it makes if it gives them something good and enables them to be better people and be better in the world, I think it's great. So the end of end of uh well, well I'm, the not, thing, I'm not surprised. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not either. And 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 the thing that the thing that I come across because some of these some of these people are really seem like I, I don't I don't know if you could characterize it as jealousy or envy. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure, there's, I'm some sure there's some of that. Some of some of them probably are sitting there going, uh, "Well, I read I read I saw a tweet. I, you know, me read three Brandon Sanderson novels in two years. Brandon Sanderson wrote five Brandon Sanderson novels in two years." And I was like, you know, some people are sitting there going, "How did he do it? How?" But it, this is this is fast. workhorse stuff. You, yeah. Well, you, I mean. <sighs> Look, I can read a four hundred book, four hundred page book in a day. If that's all you're and doing, and that's if I'm sitting there, I'm just sitting here on my couch with my book, and taking breaks for you know hydration and and all the fun things. Yeah. Um, I can I can knock through a four hundred book in in a four hundred page book in a day, and I can tell you details about the book. There are people who a four hundred page book is going to take them a week. And you know what? It doesn't mean they're not getting the, something out of the book. It doesn't mean they're less intelligent than me. It just means they process information differently. Yeah. And welcome to humanity, folks. It's all over the, the range. I read really fast. That doesn't make me better or worse than anybody else. Somebody who writes really fast and they're consistent. Well, he is. Yeah. It's one of the things he's known for. He's His Cosmere series... Which I I haven't read much of. I've read I've read a few books, but not, not, not I haven't got anywhere near to the depth of. Um, I was intrigued by the idea of someone finishing the Wheel of Time, mm-hmm. but I had gotten burnt out on the Wheel of Time, <laughs> so it did, I wasn't really compelled to read his Wheel of Time books. But I was like, okay, anyway. So I checked out a few of his books early on, but he's well known for having an internal magical structure that is not super simple. It's got complications and it's interesting. The fact that he's able to do this is part of the reason he's built up this fan base. He's prolific. He's consistent. These are selling points. This is why he's probably got a good deal with Tor. I would imagine so. And it's also why he's got the infrastructure. He can, he, he can basically set out to build the infrastructure of having a 30 person staff. And, and, and I'm, I'm picturing, <coughs> excuse me. I'm picturing his, his office, wherever it is that he does his writing covered in 
whiteboards and chalkboards and all sorts of diagrams and charts <laughs> to keep track of his universe. And all he's got to do is just look up at one place or another in his office and say, oh, okay, this and so character did this and this and such in here and this story and there. And he's got it all, he's got it all mapped out. Well, you know, you hope so. I mean, there's, there's the classic example of um, um, Terry Pratchett. Of course, talked about him a lot on, on the show. He's very much a, um, he wrote so many just amazing humorous fantasy novels. He's, he's the, one of the biggest authors in the UK. Uh, he's a cult, he was a cultural treasure. Uh, and um, he got to the point where he had to hire an assistant who really became like the caretaker of his estate along with Terry's daughter. Right. Uh, he hired this assistant because he was like, I don't even remember what I had these people do. And now, how, I've written how so many books. That, now I have to. How much of that was him having to keep track of everything? And how much of that was, was, oh, it was, it was well before the Alzheimer's. Okay. It was well before the Alzheimer's. He was just like, I have, I have written myself too big of a universe <laughs> to keep track of this all myself or, and, and to some degree, he didn't want to, no. he wanted, he wanted to sit there and write the story. And then, then his assistant would come along and go, right. So that's wrong. And Terry would rewrite it. He's just like, <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> he didn't want to lose the fun of the writing. So yeah. I think that having that, um, if you can have that structure where you can, cause especially if you're going to build a complicated universe, um, that connects the way that his does his, 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 his series, there's tendrils that connect a lot of what he's written. He's, you know, you look at what, you know, Asimov doing, tying, tying all his stuff together, Heinlein tying all his stuff together. This is similar in, in scope in mm -hmm. terms of tying so much of his work into one not necessarily completely connected universe, but one that at least touches, um, you know, maybe closer to Stephen King's yeah. connections with his, with his writing. Um, so I think it's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious because it sounds like just, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe I'm wrong. Probably am. It, it happens every now and again. <laughs> two, three times a day. Um, is, is him giving an accounting of where the money went when this is all said and done? Oh, I would because expect that he probably will. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really curious how much it ends up costing to do some of these things because you know the the what we have seen for a lot of crowdfunding projects that have gone awry mm -hmm. they've gotten lots of money um and yet dot 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 right right and kickstarter has got some very famous cases of what was it the, that cooler thing the, the there was a there was a cooler that was like i got huge huge amounts of money and it was funded and it was some sort of like revolutionary cooler and it was I know I don't they ran ads for it years ago and it was like huge amounts of money and then it all fell apart. Yeah. Um, and the, the concern of course is, you know, can you do the fulfillment? Well, he's put this stuff in, in place to do the fulfillment, but his response was much bigger than he expected. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he went... <laughs> you look at the goal. The goal is one million. So you've got to you know, you've got to think he's figured out on the expense side, <clears throat> it costs this much because mm -hmm. 
typesetting, copy editing, all, all of those things, that gets done once, maybe a second pass in each book. And then you're done. You know, if I'm paying a copy editor, I'm going to pay the copy editor and the copy editor gets, you know, does the job and the job gets finished. So it's not an ongoing expense. The only ongoing expense, the only extra that's going to be is the cost of however many books he ends up printing. And the more he prints, the less it's going to cost per book to print. So, you know, math does all of the, you know, fuzzy, wonky things. But if he's only figuring that he needed a million dollars to do this, and he's got 25 and counting, I can only imagine what that that expense detail report is going to look like. Because... Well, I paid my copy editor this. I paid my graphic designer this and the people who put the book together. But I have to wonder whether or not, and I'm and I'm leaning I'm leaning toward not, but I wonder if Tor has agreed to put a certain amount of money into the printing of these books as part of their deal to print the next edition of the books. Because you got to think um, that Tor is going to publish hmm. these at some point, maybe, just with different covers, different you know, a different binding and 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 that kind of thing. So, well, I think that for the stuff that's tying into the to the series that that Tor already publishes, it wouldn't surprise me. I would suspect not. I would suspect they don't have any kind of of, of deal with that, and and they might. No, but considering that, um, when you're a publisher, you want to keep your author publishing in-house. And so when they go outside, even to do self-publishing stuff, you're probably not going to help them much. Not because you don't like them. You think they're great. You, and and, you know, you're happy to have them around for Christmas, but you're not necessarily going to support them not putting money in your pocket. Right. All right. Speaking of putting money in our pocket, we don't have an ad. We don't have any, we don't have any sponsors, but we are going to take a real quick break. When we get back, We're going to talk a little bit more about the implications of this kind of thing and whether or not it can be duplicated, emulated. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Sci-Fi For Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi For Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi For Me. Delivering the multiverse since 2009. Live from the bunker. Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. I'm still getting used to that, doing it that way here. Welcome back. Well, this is the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt, along with Timothy Harvey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The break is just long enough for me to get up and run and go get more coffee. <laughs> All right. So, um, okay, so $25 million. This is the highest. This is a record-setting project campaign for Brandon Sanderson on Kickstarter. 
How many how many backers has he got for this? He has right now a total of a hundred and nine thousand two hundred ninety eight. Okay, so and this is this on. is updating live as we're looking at it because this goes. But there's various different tiers. You got the e, you've got the ebooks, you've got the audio books, you've got the hardcovers, you've got the packages for the for the Sanderson box all year type of stuff. So there are a lot of different things here. Um, right, but let's see here. Um, one oh one oh nine. What's the total nine, right now? One oh nine two nine eight is where we're sitting here. I'll pull that up. Nine two nine eight, and it's what's our total? Two five six four six five two six five two six. Yes, cat. I can hear you in the background there, making so lots that's, and lots of noise. Uh, and and it just keeps going up. So we're now right. At so we're, we're just doing we're just doing a little uh, a ballpark back of the napkin kind of math right. here. Um, yeah, just literally went up one as I'm watching it. Right. Um, so, you know, on on average, it's $234 a backer, which, of course, is not, in fact, accurate because, of course, the different tiers and things like that. So right. there are folks who just paid the lowest tier. But, yeah, I mean, that's not too shabby. Not too shabby. But it's also <coughs> four books and... Okay, let's say that let's say that you bought the hardback from the bookstore at twenty five bucks a pop, right? That's a hundred mm-hmm. bucks right. for four books anyway. And then and then merchandise, because right. if so you're I mean, spending if you're spending two hundred and thirty four dollars and you're getting the swag, that's not that's not unreasonable. It's a little right. high for what I would buy, but I'm also you know. Well, I think too. I mean, you look at you look at some of the books from David Weber, for example, okay. where they're you know three inches thick. Right. And you're, you know, $27, $28 for one of those. So it's not mm-hmm. outside the realm of what is normal. Right. It's not, it's not a, you know, and for, for most folks who didn't, I'm going to guess that a, has this stuff usually break down about what a third to a half actually pay like the lowest amount. And then there's folks who I'm well, sure it's all over the place. I'm, <clears throat> I'm sort of, I'm sort of, Let's see, because there there does have there is a breakdown here. We've got uh, sure, right. for the quarterly books, just the ebook only. That's all you get. You get the four mm-hmm. ebooks. There are twenty six thousand one hundred and two backers. Twenty six thousand people. Okay, there you go. Twenty six thousand are just that's, so that's the a e-books. quarter. <clears throat> yeah, so Quarter-ish? just the ebook. Yeah. Um, then you have uh, the quarterly audio books, which also include the ebook. So it's a package deal. You get the audiobook, the ebook, and just those, 23,226 backers. So there's another fourth-ish. The hardcover, you have 27,549, and that includes the ebook and the hardcover. And note here that it says unsigned. Mm-hmm. I don't have anywhere in here that I've seen where there's a signed edition, which means that at some point I'm wondering if he's going to unlock some kind of a bonus thing where for an additional $35, we'll give you this blue button to give you to get you down. You remember, you, you remember the Daffy Duck Elmer Fudd thing? Right, <clears throat> or you know what he could do, and, I'd, and, and is the fact that he's, if he's hoping to get back to this traveling 111 days a year. Yeah. 
come get your book signed. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. That could, I mean, that's that, could the, be, that could be something. And maybe, I, maybe I charge you 25 bucks at the table to sign the book or, or, or no, no, no. With this deal, I would He'd charge 10 bucks at the table. I would, I would not be surprised if he does it for free because these are going I to have specific either. covers that aren't going to be available anywhere else. So he's going to know, oh, that's one of the Kickstarter books. I'll just sign it. And, and also consider, consider your cost breakdown here. When you create an ebook, you don't have to print anything. Right. When you when you record an audiobook, you only have to re- go through that recording process once. once. You might do multiple recordings, <laughs> lots and lots of editing. It's got yeah. its own expenses and time constraints. This is true. But and there's a difference depending on whether you do just a narrator reading the book. Or right. if you do fully produced audioscape with actors and sound effects and music and all that right, other stuff, and right. so you've got a, you've got a, you've got a range there. More than likely, oh, sure. this is just going to be somebody Probably, narrates yeah, the book. Yeah, you get a you get a very you get a high quality narrator and and people yeah. who do do voices and and one person maybe two. Um, Quarterly for <laughs> all formats, you've got six thousand six hundred twenty backers. That's ebook, audiobook, and the hardcover. Well, and you think about that, I mean, you know, your your biggest expense there in terms of probably your biggest expense is going to be the hardcover itself. Well, may, um, I wonder. No. I don't know what the, what the depending on what he does with the audiobook. No, the hardcover will still be the most expensive part. But the thing is, you've got here where he's got these Year of Sanderson packages where you get the book every quarter. Mm-hmm. The two months opposite of that, you get a swag box. That's themed depending on various different story universes and whatnot throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got those broken down. You've got an ebook swag year. You have an audiobook swag year. You've got a hard book, uh, a hardcover swag year. So you get the hardcover, and then you get the swag, the other, the the odd months. Mm-hmm. But then he's got all the formats year of Sanderson. Where you get the audiobook and the ebook and the hardcover and the swag boxes, and there are over fifteen thousand people who have bought that tier. And what's that tier cost? Five hundred or more. And I like the way he's got this. You pledge five hundred or more. So the minimum is five hundred, but who's to say that some of these fifteen thousand people are the or more part? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to give you six hundred. I, what does it get you? Probably not anything. I mean, you're not going to get any kind of a priority mm-hmm. spot in the list or anything. It's all going to be fulfilled at the same time. If you're, if you're a fan and you've got the money to spend, yeah. I mean, I think that I think that's one of the things the the, the plus side of of the uh, the crowdfunding and the risk is that if you have if your fans want to give you money, they can. Mm-hmm. Um, the downside of that, of course, is, you know, making sure you deliver the product. He's not, well, okay, I say this because the world is, a ter- is, is an interesting place and all kinds of things can go wrong. But <laughs> as it stands, he is not in any danger of having the fulfillment issues 
unless there's you know a flood or or something i mean you, you can right. get visualize visualize john belushi and the blues brothers talking to carrie fisher and talking about why why he didn't make it um but uh other than that i think uh he's 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 in a position to deliver on what he's promised and again we come back to the fact he already wrote the books right and he's you not know, just like it's funny because we see I, I have I have seen a number of and again this goes back because most of most of what I've been monitoring as far as the crowdfunding side of thing has been in the comics industry but where a sure. lot of people are doing crowdfunding comic books a few magazines and a lot of that has been you know my trying to figure out okay the best way that we can put together a campaign for the magazine that we're going to try to do right. and invariably there's always the conversation and a lot of people are having this conversation about how much needs to be done before you launch the campaign how much of it needs to be finished before you launch the campaign and say here's you know 30 days we raise the money we do this because that's an expense up front be, you know if you're sure. doing especially if you're doing a comic book you've got you've you know you may be writing it but somebody's got to draw it. Somebody's got to ink it. Somebody's got to color it. And then you've got to format it. You got to do the flats and do all this stuff. Right, you got to right. do the lettering. So you have a group of people that you've got to pay to put this mm -hmm. book together. And and some people are like, well, it's it's best to have the whole book done and then launch. But at that point, then you're basically you're out however much money it costs to put this thing together before you get any of that money back in the crowdfunding part. And that's yeah, not but, cheap. But, well, no, it's not. But also, the, the, there's, there's, um, if you can't afford to go into business for yourself, you can't afford to go into business for yourself. <laughs> well, and I, and I think the other thing is, is that for a lot of these folks, they set themselves unrealistic deadlines. There is that, yeah. And even if they set themselves realistic deadlines and they don't meet well, especially if they set themselves realistic deadlines and they don't meet them, then they're going to have issues with the folks who gave them money, especially. But yeah. some folks really do set themselves unrealistic deadlines. I mean, it's it's one thing it's one thing for a uh, you know a comic book company like DC or Marvel or Image or or any of these folks who have a stable of writers and artists and editors. These are folks that they're working with on a regular basis where you can set things up so you can be on a monthly release schedule mm -hmm. and keep to that. But you'll notice every one of those big name companies and a lot of the smaller companies, especially a lot of the smaller companies reached points where the monthly book became a bi-monthly book yeah. or a quarterly book. Because somebody or... couldn't meet a deadline. And, and the thing is, is that that's sometimes it can be as simple as, an artist or a writer having a personal issue in their life, but you got to factor in that stuff, mm -hmm. especially when you're doing it on your own. Well, because and I, you are not, you're not yeah. immune to the elements folks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I have, I have, uh, uh thought, uh, on a number of times, you know, thinking through our, our plan for a magazine, how soon we start to work on it, you know, how soon we start to start putting articles together or start soliciting for stories or, or think pieces and essays and all that kind of thing. Because you have to do, if you're going to do something like quarterly, 
for example, or if you do something every six months, you've got to do something that's a little bit more evergreen in your in your material. Sure, right. Uh-huh. It can't be something that's just, you know, right then breaking news because, you know, six months from now, is it's not going to be breaking news. Right. And the other part of that, too, it becomes is, a retrospective at that. Point. It does. It does. And, and the other part of it, speaking of retrospective, is the format. Do you do it? Because I've I've actually started to try to, to get some ideas from various different chat groups as they're talking in and in, in these things, whether you would prefer a glossy, slick, shiny, you know, fancy print magazine like Fangoria is doing. Mm-hmm. Or do you prefer the old, you know, wizard type format or you the old the old style where you get black and white on newsprint and you've got some you've got a color cop a, a color cover, but everything mm-hmm. on the inside is black and white and it's on newsprint. That's cheaper. Right. But, you know, you're you're trading off an impression, you know, what do you want your book to look like? And what kind of impression are you gonna give if you're really slick and glossy? versus the versus the 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 newsprint retro style and i have to wonder if maybe we we do the the newsprint style but do a nice nice glossy slick cover but i don't want you know does does sitting there saying we're going to do 60 pages all glossy print that raises the expectations of what sure. kind of quality you're going to deliver. Right. So, you know, it's a, it's a mix of all these different things you got to balance right. out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this and I have to think that the publishers, you, you were talking about earlier, you know, everybody is looking at this thing. The publishers have to be wondering how they can make this work for them. Because Dynamite has done in the past where they'll they'll crowdfund a variant cover for a particular book of theirs, and anybody right, could do right. it. Mm-hmm, right. uh, you've got Brian Polito who's been doing crowdfunding for you know twelve fifteen years now, and and I I would I would suspect that somewhere in the traditional publishing houses, somebody is having a conversation about Brandon Sanderson right now. Oh sure, oh sure. So who, and I think, I, who I think, pulls I think the trigger the, first? Do you think? I think the question, though, is less how do we take advantage of this, and more is this a threat? Yeah. And I don't mean that in a curse you, Sanderson. It's more <laughs> like, hang on. And and I think that this is this is not a bad thing. And whether while he sat there and said that he's you know. He's primarily looking at the, you know, poking Amazon a little bit. I think that it's not a bad idea for the publishers to maybe feel a little bit like they may not be necessary because the industry, every now and again, the industry needs a shakeup because the weight The power differential between the author and the publisher is mm-hmm. always going to fall on the publisher's side. Yeah, right? the house always wins. And and the thing is, is that that's, quite frankly, that makes sense, all right? These are the folks who are 
spending the money to put the thing in the hand. The, the author isn't spending that money. Right. The publisher is. Therefore, so I mean, but but how that weight falls is periodically needs some adjustment. I think and I think that at some for point, for a long time the self-publishing houses. No. Okay. And not so not the vanity press. Well, okay, but hold on, hold on, because because we get some fuzzy things in here. Because all right, dust off, dust off the book dealer thing. Okay, <laughs> so back in the day, ladies and gentlemen, back in the before times. Okay, back in the eighties. All right, eighties uh, and nineties, when self publishing was primarily considered to be vanity press. Mm -hmm. It wasn't all vanity press. It was part of it, a big part of it. Um, it was also very predatory. And it's still very predatory. If you are interested in self-publishing, I encourage you to do lots and lots of research. Do not, never, ever, 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 ever give any money to a publisher to publish your book. Okay? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Just so I can, I'm going to interject here for a moment. I've got you on the solo feed here, the mm -hmm. picture, just so people can see Hamish falling asleep on the table oh, without I know. putting the, his head the, down. He's the the cat the, the cat's the most important part of this. So there are <laughs> a lot of these predatory publishing houses would would sit there and go, "Hey, we'll publish your book. All you have to do is give me a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars, and you would get." <clears throat> A very little in return, yeah. and that was how they made money. They were basically they were basically scams, and even the ones who put out your book would not do the thing. They wouldn't market the way they said they would. They wouldn't get in the stores, et cetera, et cetera, because there's no incentive really for them to do that. They've already got your money, and right. and then and then you had Create Space and the various different electronic. Uh, outlets where you know Barnes and Noble had their version of it, and sure, and uh, Amazon's got it. You know all of these different things where you can self-publish your book. Print-on-demand became a thing. Um, mm -hmm. My book is published that way, so anybody who wants a copy, they order a copy, it gets printed, and they ship it out. Um, and Amazon right now is is a huge player in the self-publishing space. Yeah, and a lot of authors who are doing the self-publishing again. Big name authors under pseudonym, folks, it's happening, um, are doing it through Amazon. And even folks, I mean, there are several authors. There's, uh, They've got two Patreon uh, authors that I follow on Patreon um, because, well, <laughs> they're, they're, very, they're quite blunt. Look, folks, <laughs> I only make this much money on a novel. It's, 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 this is how it actually breaks down. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and I've, I've got a second job. I've got, I've got my full-time job and I'm a writer, you know? So, and those are there, if they're self-publishing, they're self-publishing likely through a service like Amazon. Yeah. So the, the benefit of having that kind of infrastructure means that you can put that book in front of a big, big audience, which was always one of the biggest risks of self-publishing. Cause again, back in the old day, what you did is you went around to the bookstores yourself yeah and you walked up to their salesperson or there you went to their the person who actually buys things for the store and goes hi there could you would you be interested in carrying my book 
And folks, I did that for several years. And you know what? I read a lot of terrible books, yep. just terrible books. And I had to look at someone and say, I'm really sorry we don't currently have a place for your book in my store. And even the books that were just god-awfully bad. I mean... You still feel bad. You feel bad because yeah. because people pour, people are putting their heart and soul into this stuff. And even if they're if they're not a good writer or a good artist or whatever it is that they're doing, their passion project, mm-hmm. and you're in that position where you sit to have to give them a yay or a nay. Oh, sometimes it hurt. It hurt your soul to sit there and turn somebody down. But yeah. you're also in a business yourself, and so you're sitting there going, "I remember, you know, this- I remember getting a book here for the review pile one year." And it was it was early. It was one. It was it was 2010, 2011. It was, it was a long time ago. And the guy who wrote it was not an author. He was a doctor of some sort. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I you know professor. I think in in some kind of a some sure. kind of earth science. And he wrote this book. <clears throat> and the prologue, the introduction to the book tells the entire story of what the book's about. Here's what the book's about. And it gives away the entire plot in the first 10 pages or so. And it's not even the novel. It's the introduction to the novel. Here's the story. And I think, I don't need to read this book now. Well, see, but the thing is, with the scientific paper, your opening section is your summary of everything, and then you break down the details. So it's like, you know, it's entirely possible that's what he was doing. And I had another one. <laughs> I had another one. I think I told you about this one too. Uh, I had another one that had almost no punctuation in it at all. At all. I mean, it, sentences ran into sentences. I mean, no, capitalization, punctuation it was it was all gone. And I thought, I I I can't. Uh, my brain couldn't process. This is this is why you want an editor (laughs) who is not you. Yes, yes. Um, The 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 interestingly enough, the number one book that we ever really just blew blew off the shelves Mm -hmm. for a while. It it, it eventually fell off. There was a uh, believe it or not in Wichita, Kansas, where I where I grew up. uh, There was actually a mob scene there the the mob was there in in the middle of the country in little wichita kansas <laughs> um at the time it was what two hundred thousand people not huge but it had a mob scene and one of wichita's most notorious mobsters was one of my best-selling self-published authors <laughs> And he would come into the store all the time yeah. and he was extremely charming and he was kind of terrifying because <laughs> this is a guy who he, well, <laughs> they'd never proved he'd killed several people, <laughs> but it was always acknowledged that everyone knew it was him and he would always come in and he'd want to buy me coffee. And I was like, um, that's Okay. I'll get my own. Um, it's just, I mean, he was so charming and, and, and funny and just wrong on so many levels, but his book sold really well. He had, we had several very nice book signings with him yeah. where he'd get these crowds and you're like, 
Okay. Um, <laughs> and we sold and we sold some really neat uh, uh, local photography books, which actually sold well. Yeah. Um, which was always kind of cool um, when you can get uh, some artists in front of people. But the local interest generally tends to do okay because you know it's somebody who's it local does. and they they know a lot of people who come in. The other part mm-hmm. of that too, I mean, you look at these you look at these crowdfunding things, and you know you think about. A publisher like Bayon or Tor or or a Random House or somebody who comes in and says, you know what, we should do this and we'll do a special edition of David Weber's next book, for example. And people would eat that up. And I have to I have to think that, you know, you, you have your traditional bookstores and you have your book dealers and the buyers and the who what's and you gotta figure out how many how many we're gonna print, how many of them go on the shelf. How many of them stay on the shelf? How many of them get tr- get tossed because they stayed on the shelf too long and didn't right. sell? Whereas with a Kickstarter or an Egogo, you have a number of them and they're already sold. Well, so the, the, for the publishing houses, what they'll do is they'll do pre-orders. And so you'll basically sit there and say special edition David Weber book. Yeah. It's going to be coming in fall of 2020 or spring of 2023. Okay. And so you go pre-orders start in April of 2022. And so by August of 2022, you know what your minimum print run is going to be. Yeah. So, I mean, they're already doing things like this. It's just a diff. It's more internal than going to Kickstarter and Egogo or any of these other crowdfunding sources because they already have the infrastructure to do this stuff in house. Yeah. Be basically pre-selling these things before they ever do a print run. And and a crowdfunding um, crowdfunding campaign is essentially the same kind of thing where you've right. got a particular number they're already committed. Right, and so you're basically. I mean, it's to some degree. What we're seeing is the pre-order system in the publishing houses has moved, has become available, potentially available to the larger artistic public, but they don't, the the risk is heavier on the individual than it is, of course, on the publishing house. Because if they don't get pre-order, if they they only get a hundred, they only pre-sell a hundred copies of the new David Weber Deluxe edition, which of course is ridiculous. There'd be sure. a lot more than that. But um, if, if they only have to sit there and go, well, okay, we'll print 100 and there you go. And they're done. Whereas if you, the uh, um, the individual, have worked out the budget and you need to sell 120 of the book and you only sell 100, you could run into some problems. So. Yeah. Because you're because I, I think I think a lot of folks forget, you know, just because you raise all this money, that's not really cash in hand. A lot of that money has already been spent. Yep. Yep. It's and, at, at the very least it's and, been committed. So and and a lot of people also forget, and again, folks, think about this stuff if you're gonna do it. Taxes. 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 Pain. You gotta pay the taxes. Pain. And they will come back and and there are folks who this is it's it's not just crowdfunding now this is stuff that's bit people yeah. throughout you know as as independent contractors although if you're individual freelancers yeah but if you're independently publishing all of that all of those expenses you can write off 
Most of them. Well, I, I am not a tax yes. attorney. I am not a, an, an accountant. This is not official advice for me for anybody. You can't, you can write off a lot of that stuff, but here's the thing is that you also need to know what you can and cannot write off, yeah. what your tax responsibilities <clears throat> are. Uh, uh, you know, folks, there's, there's two things that are important when you're doing this sort of stuff. Okay. It is always a good idea to talk to an attorney in this field. And Not just account. don't don't go don't go talk to a divorce attorney when you're looking at publishing. Okay, <laughs> find someone who actually knows about publishing. Right, no. attorneys don't come in every flavor. And talk to an accountant. Okay, figure out if if you if you are comfortable with doing all this stuff on your own, recognizing your responsibilities on the financial end. Great, but that's what accountants are for. And yes, these folks cost money. But here's the thing. You got to spend money to make money. That's <laughs> right. how it right. works. I mean, it's it would be lovely if money were to fall from the sky. I would definitely look up for, for a reign of, of 20s, but that ain't how it works. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And, and the thing is, is that, but if you have that structure, and again, we come back to Sanderson building this infrastructure for this project where he's got this stuff in place. He clearly has thought this through. And I think that's the real, the real takeaway here. Not, I mean, yes, it's a great, it's a huge amount of money mm -hmm. and that's fantastic. And congratulations to him for having the fan reaction. That's fantastic. As an author, you, well, he's, he's talked about it a lot in interview. He's just like, this is so cool. On the <laughs> other hand, he built the framework where all of a sudden millions 20 times what he was expect over 20 times what he was expecting yeah. in terms of response now you have to fulfill that he's not being caught a hundred percent flat-footed by this that i think 30 people may need to grow his plan might have to scale up be to meet and this I, demand and i think that's the biggest thing is is making sure at whatever level that you that you're existing on as as a, a an independent creator whether it's comics or, or or novel or whatever having a system in place that's scalable because i can tell you just personally it's it's a pain point for me because what we've got here with this operation is not that scalable because i can't duplicate myself right because the knowledge base, the skill set, everybody's everybody's at a different level in terms of how much they know what what they're able to do mm -hmm. on the tech side of things. You know, we well, all, not, let, we, alone, let alone the time side of things. Yeah. You you by by the nature of how you work, you know, your work, you you are able to put time into this that other people contributing to this can't necessarily do. Right. So yeah, there's all the there's there's all these different places where things aren't necessarily scalable. He, I think he's in significantly less danger of that. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. <laughs> but he also is probably looking at this and going, all right, I did the budget and we're like, okay, 30 people, a million dollars, we can do this. Ta-da. And now it's like, okay, you know, again, we come back to the ebook. You got to make it once. Yeah. 
you don't have to you know you're not gen you're, you're generating a copy of the original every time you put one out same thing with with the audio with the audiobook um he's he's in a pretty decent place i think i think this is impressive and i'm curious to see i'm curious to see what authors who are publishing stuff uh under pseudonyms yeah because there's a lot of them folks there really are there always has been by the way this is not this is not a new thing this has been going on for a long <laughs> time um I'm, I'm curious to see if we see more of this coming up because there are folks who have the same kind of audience he's got. It's just a different thing. Um, you think you think science fiction fans and fantasy fans are big. Where do you look at the romance market? Oh, I know, I know, oh, I know. You, uh, if you ever go into a used bookstore, folks, um, there's a reason the romance section is as big as it is. Because as when I was a used book dealer. We loved our romance book customers so much because you know what they do? They keep the lights on. Yeah. Yep. Dave has some nice things to say about us. This is fascinating points touched upon here. Extremely enjoyable. Thank you both. Well, thank you for being here, Dave. We do appreciate you yep. popping in on all of the shows. You're you're here frequently. You're a regular. We appreciate you being here. And we appreciate everybody else who is here as well, whether you're here with us live of your or your um in Memorex. Memorex. Uh, now, those of okay, you... That's sad. That's sad that you and I both <laughs> hit on it at the same time. Right. That's, that's, there's something very wrong. Well, you know, it's just, you know, great minds think alike, and then so do ours. We're just um, old, Jason. I know, I know, old. I know. Speaking <laughs> of crowdfunding and financial support and whatnot, we do have a way that you can support us here if you are so inclined. We've got a PayPal tip jar and we've got an account over at Subscribestar, and Mr. Harvey and I have to have a conversation about that because he's got some thoughts. So we're gonna we're gonna be looking at revamping that and updating a little bit. We've also got a newsletter that you can sign up for, and I need to get one of those out because I haven't done that in a while. We're on several video platforms and ten different social medias. So whatever flavor uh, you prefer, we're probably there. We are not, however, on TikTok or Snapchat. Or Tumblr. Well, I'm not sure who's still on Tumblr anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, they all went over to Twitter when Tumblr dumped the porn. So, well, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna kill a significant chunk of your customer base, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, uh, you know, ho however yeah. you feel about that, I mean, talk about business decisions. I know, that are not know. in your own interest. And we are, and we do not have any kind of an account or anything over at OnlyFans. So just. <laughs> just making sure that people understand that. Although we did talk about it at one point, <laughs> Mandy and I actually did talk about setting one up for Office Dog. You know and what? Having um, OnlyFans for the dog, but yeah, I, it, that's as far as it went. It was a five-minute conversation. And we laughed about it and we moved on. So the problem, the problem with that is that you have to keep generating new content. I know, right? Well, I mean, you know, considering. It's, it's Considering that Mindy has a tendency to take about 15,000 pictures every time the dog is cute, we would not be starved for content. I mean, that 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 part. Well, that act, that's an, actually an argument for it. Just yeah, saying. But, but see, but then, then we would have to expand because at some point we've got office dog. You know, we have senior office dog. We have junior office dog. At some point, we'd have to see your cat. 
And, you know, we'd have to, you know, we'd have to expand and we'd have to, you know, pimp Moira out and, and okay, so, so the, pro- the problem, <laughs> the problem with, with putting cats on, on OnlyFans is self-evident. <laughs> we're just not going to go there. All right. That's on that note, we're going to head there. out. Thanks very much for being here, folks. And, uh, uh if you have feedback you'd like to send us uh, via email, the, the email address is h2o at softafterme.com. And uh, do sign up for the newsletter. Find us over on Odyssey. We're trying to build up our audience over there as well. And uh, we, uh, we will do this again uh, next week. Alloy says uh, an interesting point here. There's no point in Tumblr when WordPress owns it. So it's essentially like having the same thing. I didn't know WordPress owned Tumblr. It wouldn't necessarily surprise that, me. That's news to me. I See, I am. I just turned 52 last week, and I'm still learning things. So, you know, that keeps me that keeps me sharp and on my toes. So thanks for that. All right, <laughs> that's going to do it for us. If you are new to the channel, don't forget to subscribe. Have your notifications turned on. On your way out, hit that thumbs up and let people know about this. Feel free to share this or any of the other videos that we've got. Uh, coming up on Live from the Bunker on Wednesday... We are going to have uh, Julia and Eric Lourdes, who were responsible for the animated X-Men series back in the day, and are going to be connected to the new X-Men series. So we'll be talking to them. That will be on Wednesday, and uh, we hope you join us for that as well. So that's going to do it for us. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Have a good night. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.